We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You guys are looking good today, and it's, it's just fun to be in the house of God. If we haven't met, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And uh, you know, over this past month, we've been talking a lot about this topic of intimacy, intimacy. I'm just telling you, God wants to have a deeper relationship with you, and, and the way he does that is by helping you have a deeper relationship with a couple things, with his word, with his church, and with his spirit, and ultimately with each other. God gave us to one another uh, on purpose, and, and let's be honest, okay, intimacy can also be scary. I think a lot of people purposefully avoid intimacy with his church, you know what I'm saying? Over the years, let me just give you an example, okay? Over the years, a lot of people have, have confessed a lot of things to me as a pastor. I, I've just, I've heard it all over the years, but I can't tell you how many times people will say the same thing to me after confessing, and they, pro- they say this, I suppose this is probably the first time you've ever heard anyone confess. <laughs> you know, as if they're the only person on planet Earth who's ever struggled with that certain sin. Can I just tell you the truth? All y'all are sinners. Every last one of you, okay? Just stop thinking you invented sin, for gosh sakes. My gosh, you know what I'm saying? I, me included, I'm a sinner, okay? So why are we so scared to admit our authentic problems to one another? I, like, we just gotta get over it, for gosh sakes, okay? Stop thinking you're the only person on planet Earth who who struggles with fill in the blank, okay? I just, and so then rather than pouring our energy into getting healed, we pour our energy into the illusion of maturity. I'm way more put together than I want you to think. You know what I'm saying? It's madness, it's silliness, okay? So today, let me just give you a new definition of maturity. And if you're a note taker, write this down, okay? And some of you, this is gonna tweak your brains, okay? Because a lot of people think that maturity is not sinning. That has nothing, that, that's not actually true, okay? Although as you mature, you will sin a little less. But I, I'm just, uh, what I, let me give you a different definition of spiritual maturity. It's not how often you sin, okay? Because newsflash, we already know you do and so does your family, okay? What, what the, the real definition of maturity is this. Maturity is defined by how quickly you bring sin into the light. Maturity is not about whether you sin or not, it is how quickly you bring your sin into the light. In other words, when you discover sin in your life, how quickly do you admit it and get the help you need from other believers? It's, it's confessing it to righteous people and getting prayer for your issues, okay? So, and, and I, wanna, I wanna unpack that definition by doing a quick little study uh, on the Old Testament characters of King Saul and King David, both of them made mistakes. Both King Saul and King David made mistakes. Both of them committed heinous sins, okay? Big ones, the kind that you would get locked up for nowadays. And yet God said about David, he was a man after my own heart. Why? 
Why did God say that about David but not about Saul? Again, both of them committed terrible sins, and so it begs the question, well, what's the difference? What's going on here? Well, personally, okay, I, I'm just gonna let my thesis right out of the bag from the beginning. Um, I personally believe that the, the difference wasn't who sinned more, it was what they did with their sin. David was quick to repent. Saul was quick to blame other people for his issue. David was quick to fess up, and Saul was constantly trying to minimize his sin, sugarcoat his sin, and let everybody know that it's primarily because of the people around me that I'm sinning, okay? In other words, for Saul, the problem was always out there, and, and it, was, it was something that gave him no choice. You don't understand. Let me just give you more context, and then you'll understand why my sin was a necessity, okay? Uh, so, and we're gonna do this. We're gonna start by studying 1 Samuel 15, and this is just to set up the story. God says, hey, I, hey, Saul, I need you to deal with these wicked Amalekites. They're, you know, child sacrifice, all sorts of terrible things. Uh, but when you deal with them, do not take their animals and bring them back, okay? In other words, God wanted, didn't want this to be a selfish ambition thing. He didn't want this to be a plunder thing. Don't bring back any animals. And then of course, when Samuel, the prophet of God, finds Saul after Saul returned, he wanted to, you know, Samuel was kind of checking, hey, did you obey the Lord? And of course, sure enough, Saul, King Saul, was surrounded by nice animals. And so Samuel was like, hey, the prophet was like, what's up, Saul, you didn't obey. And, and then immediately Saul was like, no, it was the soldier's fault. For Samuel 15, 15. It was the soldier's fault. That's why there's animals here. That's why there's plunder here. I'm just a victim, okay? I'm the king, but I didn't get a fair shake here. And of course, you know, Samuel's like, huh? Like, okay, and finally, you know, uh, Saul admits, okay, 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 you got me. I sinned, right? He still was like, Samuel, please, would you still come back and honor me in front of the elders and the people? I still went into battle. I still sacrificed a little bit here, okay? Would you just help me maintain my illusion of maturity, my filter of perfection for the people around? And, and, and let me just contrast this by skipping ahead a couple chapters to 1 Samuel uh, 24, okay? Now, you can study this on your own free time, but I, I wanna just give you the big picture of how this all works. And so in 1 Samuel 24, Saul continued to live in denial of his issues, and, and all of a sudden, there's this young boy named David who just keeps getting more and more and more and more favor. This is the David that slew Goliath that Saul was supposed to kill, but he didn't because he was a wuss, and so God had to take a young boy to do it for him. Okay, so finally in 1 Samuel 24, King Saul is getting jealous. He's starting to get jealous of David, you know, and, and so now he's like, I gotta get rid of this guy who's been helping me. And, and so Saul is trying to murder his own servant, okay? And, and so David goes into hiding. He's running around the desert trying to avoid King Saul, and King Saul rallies an elite force of 3,000 warriors to find David and murder him, okay? How scary is that? You thought you had a bad day? You know what I'm saying? I hate it when 3,000 elite soldiers try to come and kill me, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, you know, you thought your year was bad? Okay, so uh, David, I, and I'm, I'm just setting this up, okay? And suddenly there's this crazy moment where David is hiding in a cave and Saul stumbles upon the very cave where David is hiding. What is about to happen, okay? But, but, but Saul doesn't know that David is in that cave. And so Saul goes into that cave actually to relieve himself. He's going into the cave to go to the bathroom. 
okay? Because he doesn't want to do it out in the open in front of 3,000 people. That's not very dignified for a king. And so David sneaks up behind Saul in the cave. And instead of killing the guy who's, go, who's there to kill him, he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe, a, a tassel off the corner of Saul's robe. And some of you are like, you know, why would he do that? First off, that's a little weird. You know, I can't imagine. I, I try to imagine how that worked. You know, Saul's going to the bathroom and he's sneaking up and cutting off a, you know, I, I don't even know if I'd even want to be anywhere near that. Uh, right, but I, I've just, but okay, get this, okay? There's huge poetic significance for, to David cutting off the tassel, the corner of Saul's robe, okay? Because I, I know that a lot of you, you may not understand how Jewish Old Testament clothing worked, but let me just, you know, unpack it for you a little bit, okay? This wasn't, this wasn't in the story. When I first read it, I thought, oh, this was just merely David sparing Saul's life and, and getting evidence that he could have killed Saul, Right? But actually, it was way more than that. David was trying to embarrass Saul, okay, because the tassel of your robe was a symbol of your authority, okay? Oftentimes, men would hang their seal and their signature there, okay? So instead of signing your signature, you had a stamp, and you'd hang it on your tassel. And so when, rather than signing a document, you just, you know, you put the wax, and then you'd seal it, right? So you, it was basically your signature. It was your authority. It was your ability to sign off on things. And so, so David was essentially saying, hey, I'm going to cut, it's like stealing your keys, if you will, uh, to, or your wallet, so to speak, okay, your ID. The tassel was a symbol of a man's authority, but the other purpose of the tassel was to remind the wearer of, of, of God. It was basically God wanted everybody to have a reminder to obey him, okay? So if you didn't have a tassel, you were not in compliance with the Torah, which was the Bible as they had it then. And, and so cutting off the tassel wouldn't merely morally embarrass Saul, but it would cut off the very thing that would remind Saul to obey God. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, so this was, this was a tool to remind Saul to read his Bible, so to speak, okay? And, and David realized after doing it that he had made it harder for, for Saul to experience God, okay? So, so watch what happens. David does something that is downright crazy, and we're gonna pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse five, okay? This is so crazy, but I think we can learn from this, okay? Afterwards, after David cut off the tassel, David was what? Conscience-stricken. That means the little angel over one shoulder and the little devil over the other shoulder, the angel was screaming at him, what did you do? He was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. Like he knew what he did, like cutting off the, the, the tassel, now all of a sudden puts Saul out of compliance with God's word. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed, or, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. In other words, he is still the king of Israel. Even though he's a wicked person, the office is honorable, and he's still serving in that office. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. Okay, so just, just stop here for a second. David's men were probably shell-shocked at this point. They're thinking, we are hiding from a man who is trying to murder us, 
And not only did you not kill the crazy king, which all of us would have been happy to do for you, but suddenly you're feeling guilty about cutting off the corner of his robe? I mean, are you kidding me, David? I mean, and then David takes it to a whole new level in verse eight. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord the king. In other words, you're gonna reveal your position to Saul and 3,000 men who are there to kill you. I mean, what in the world are you doing, okay? And this little passage that, that ensues after this moment is actually one of the longest dialogues of the Old Testament. It's the longest statement we have from any singular individual in the entire Old Testament, and it's David confessing his sin to his king. He, I mean, this is like suicide mission, and yet confess his sin. He literally runs out in front of 3,000 elite soldiers up on a ledge, okay, so there's a little distance, but who are there to kill him just so he can confess his small sin. And of course, David's companions were astonished as he's doing this, like, what are you doing, okay? And really, the, the, why, why did the Bible give us this illustration? Because it was showing that David was so sensitive about maintaining his own character that he would rather risk his life than conceal, it, conceal his sins. He would rather risk his life and actually risk everyone's lives around him than conceal his sin. Think about that. It goes to show that David feared God literally 3,000 times more than he feared man, okay? And David's passion for holiness far exceeded his need for dignity and safety. And we see this time and time again. His desire for holiness exceeded his desire for dignity or for safety over and over and over again, and watch what happens next. Okay, so King Saul was so convicted that David would do that, that, that Saul, the king who's there to kill him, starts weeping in conviction and calls off the whole pursuit, tells the whole army of 3,000, let's just go home. This, this whole day has been bad. This is not how I wanted it to work. The soldiers on both sides of this fight must have been totally confused, like what in the world just happened? Like, what just happened, okay? Here's why I believe David did it. David is thinking, okay, in his mind, he's thinking, if I work on my promotability, God will work on my promotion. Yes, it has been prophesied that I will inevitably become king, but I'm not gonna make that happen on my timeline. I'm gonna let God do his thing, because right now, Saul is still king. I'm gonna let God take care of Saul. David also believed, hey, when God wants to promote someone like me, not even 3,000 elite soldiers are gonna stand in the way, okay? He was totally convinced there's way more power when we live authentically, when we live in the light, even if it costs me more up front. And that's why 1 John 1.7 in the New Testament says, but if we walk in the light as God is in the light, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. In other words, if you want the power of the blood of Jesus to be activated in your life, how do you do it? You do it by getting into the light. In other words, walking in the light, confessing our sin is what activates the blood of Jesus in our lives. I don't know about you, but I could use as much power as I could possibly get. 
I need as much help as I can possibly get. I want the blood of Jesus to actually work in my life, and how do I do it? Well, John tells us, walk in the life. Live, live authentically, live, live unfiltered. In church, I, I wanna propose this to you today. What if, what if today, the very power you needed to work out, to eat healthy, to get a budget, to overcome your addictions, came by finding a place to practice living in the light, by taking on the same humility and desperation as David. I'm just telling you, church, sin has never been God's biggest problems, okay? Authentic and intimate living, that's totally different. You see, God already sent his son to die for us for the forgiveness of our sins, to purchase the power to overcome sin. That's not a problem anymore for God. That's not an issue for God anymore. Rather, what is an issue is finding people who are willing to get their sins in the light, to admit it, thereby activating the power of the blood of the, of, of the, of the slain lamb, right? By getting the help they need. God wants people like David who are just willing to, who would rather die than hide their small sins. That's why David prayed this prayer, and here's a prayer we can learn. In Psalm 51.10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If you want a great prayer to pray today, that right there. Create in me a pure heart. And, and that nat naturally causes us to seek out God's will in God's word to find out where we are out of alignment with God's word. I think a lot of us, we just want our intentions to be the thing that activates it. I intend to be a good person, and therefore, that's somehow gonna activate the blood of Christ. Listen, it's more than that. It's actually, it's actually seeking God's will, seeking God's word, and then getting it out in the open with other people, getting the help we need when we're finding ourselves out of alignment. And there's something powerful about taking ownership of our issues, no matter how small they are. Okay, so now, let's go back to the beginning. Remember how I defined maturity, okay? It's not about who sins more, it's about what we do with our sins, how fast we get it into the light. You see, David was quick to repent, Saul was quick to blame it on others, to cover it up, the problem's always out there, right? And I, I think in, in moments where we feel vulnerable, when we feel insecure, we, we naturally wanna deflect and make it the problem out there, okay? So there's this temptation to be like Saul where we blame other people for our issues. I, one of the things that I've always wanted to teach my kids since the time they were literal is don't blame your problems on other people. Take ownership of it, just even if it's small. In other words, like a lot of people, they say, I don't need to be a better parent, I just need better kids, right? I don't need to be a better uh, husband, I just need a better spouse. I don't need a better boss or better employees, I just need better coworkers, and I get it. Sometimes we're only 10% to blame and they're 90%, that's the really, you know, a lot of people, they're like, you don't understand, Pastor, okay? My spouse is 90% the problem. Okay, like they just, they, they wanna set up the first, you know, like back when I used to do, uh, uh, you know, like a lot of pastoral counseling, people would always come in about their marriage and they'd always wanna make the case why it's 80% their spouse's problem. Yeah, I'm willing to admit I got 20% issues, but I, want, I need you to understand first and I need my spouse to acknowledge first that they're 80%. The problem. In other words, they, they've got to somehow make sure that it's clear that the problem is primarily out there first, and then they'll deal with their issues. And, and, and here's, here's the truth, okay? Let me just encourage you with this, with a discouragement. I love encouraging discouragements, don't you? They're just, there's something powerful about it. No, listen, here's the truth. If you are even 10% to blame, I wanna encourage you, own it like it is 100% you. Own it like it is 100% you. Now to some people, they feel like doing that is like saying 
get, become taken advantage of. But listen, I actually believe that type of behavior, owning it like that, will activate divine justice on your behalf and will accelerate your cause. Okay, let me just explain it uh, by giving you one uh, kind of last story to illustrate this. I, many of you guys know before Substance, before my wife and I planted Substance, um, uh, we, were, we were lead pastors of another church and there was this leader there who was always jealous of my influence because I didn't start out as the lead pastor. I, I started out as the youth pastor and I climbed the ranks and then they asked me to be the lead pastor. And uh, even though I was the lead pastor, um, you know, this other guy, this other leader had been at the church far longer than me. He was, a, he was a bit older than me. And over the course of a couple years, this guy would constantly do things to sabotage my leadership once I became a lead pastor. And, you know, rumors would get back to me. It was always little stuff, like rumors would get back to me that he was griping about a decision that I had made. And, and of course, you know, when... And, 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 when you're a leader, you're constantly having to make decisions that are hard, right? So I've gotta make a decision about who's the leader of this ministry or that ministry or we're gonna launch that ministry instead of this ministry. We're gonna prioritize the budget here versus there. And, and you know, people would always be like, I don't get it, I don't understand. I don't understand why my leader is making those decisions, which I get it. That's, it's kind of the nature, uh, and sometimes I don't have the time to explain all the reasons for why I'm doing whatever, but you know, rumor would get back to me that this person was griping about. I just think I could have made that decision better. I'm like, you know, and I'd hear it from other people through the rumor mill, yeah, so-and-so was not very happy that you made that decision. And, and, uh, and, and he once even took it pretty far. He even told another guy on staff, yeah, I heard Pastor Peter wants to fire you and give himself a raise. That's word on the street that he wants to fire you, which is ridiculous because I didn't even have the power to give myself a raise, right? And to this day, I still don't, right? I have a board who approves it on national averages and it's not something that I can even, you know, make happen, right? At the, it's, and, and so, I, but, but this guy sowed these seeds of discontent in all sorts of people and just to get them to think, hey, Pastor Peter has some issues, right? He felt like he needed some political leverage uh, for himself, and, I, and I, to this day, I don't think that that guy was intentionally lying about me. I think, honestly, he just really felt he was truly a better leader and, and that he just felt like he needed more authority in the church, right? And so he thought this is how he needs to do it. And so, uh, and so even still, okay, so then I, I was constantly like, God, how do I deal with this guy? In some ways, he was kind of my King Saul, if you will. Even though technically I had authority over him, he was, he was still, you know, just making problems for me, left and right, and I'm like, God, how do I do it? And so I thought, you know what, I need just to go out of my way to maybe just give him a break, cut him a, cut him, you know, give him a second chance, give him a third chance, give him a fourth chance. And, and you know, I would do little things, let him take public credit for things that I was making happen. And I, I'd, hope and I, I'd hoped at some port, point he would grow out of his insecurity. I was hoping that someday he would realize, oh, Peter's actually a good guy. He's not trying to harm me or steal anything from me. Actually, we can, we can, we can work together, right? I was hoping that someday I, I could win him over and, and win his spouse over and that, and, and yet what I didn't understand is, is just how big his insecurity was and, and, and it was a lot, it lasted a lot longer than I thought, than I expected and towards the end, he finally did something that was to, to sabotage me that was just way over the line and so uh, one day I was just so mad, I went off and I vented to another leader about him. Okay, and, and, and we call that tri triangulating is when you go to a person to talk, where you're talking about another person instead of going straight to that person. 
And so I'm going to, and triangulation is just another fancy you know, word for gossip, okay? Uh, we go to the person first, the Bible says, to confront. And, but oh, it felt so good to just, this person, this person, they're so mean, they're so dumb, they're so stupid. It just felt so good, you know, because also part of me, I wanted political leverage and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm vomiting over this person. Uh, and, and, and fortunately, this person happened to be a very mature person. They're like, Pastor Peter, that is not good. And we need to call an immediate meeting with this person and hash it out. And at first I was like, but, but then I'm like, you know what, that's the mature thing. Actually, I am so sorry that I even involved you in this. This was inappropriate. And, and so they immediately called up this person and they're gonna mediate this meeting between me and this individual, okay? So, the, you know, naturally I'm kind of stressed at this point, right? Because now it's just like, oh, we're gonna go there, right? And, you know, it was like I didn't sleep for like two nights straight. And, and of course, I tried in my heart. I, thought, I kept thinking, Lord, just, I, I wanted to pray the, the prayer of David. Create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, and renew a right spirit in me. I, I wanna make sure that I, I, and I tried to see it from my adversary's perspective. What is he gonna say about all this? What is he gonna, and I tried to put myself in his shoes so that way I could kind of anticipate, you know, things that I could maybe apologize for. And I realized, you know, in that moment, hey, I, I probably have been inadvertently creating more tension than I realized. I'm probably creating some of this tension. I'm gonna apologize for those things that I can, and hopefully the train will get back on the tracks, and pretty soon we're gonna be serving the Lord together in peace, and it's gonna be awesome, right? We're gonna get the band back together. So I, I, and I looked my adversary in the eyes at that meeting, and I'm like, hey, here is where I messed up. I thought, I'm gonna initiate. I'm gonna initiate by being vulnerable, this is where I messed up and here's another area where I messed up and finally I messed up by even involving this person. I should have just gone to you first and uh, I, I would love to ask for, you know, I'd love to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. And if I could be totally unfiltered, okay? Because some of you are like, you are, you're explaining it to an entire church of people. I was kinda hoping that if I confessed all of these issues where I was bad, that maybe he would also fess up to a couple of his backstabs, and I knew like 12 of them, okay? So I, right, because they were written down in my journal, right? I knew, <laughs> I knew, I knew, I was hoping that he would fess up to at least one of them. And so, you know, I'm kinda waiting for that moment where he apologizes back to me, and he looked at me and he goes, Peter, Pastor Peter, I forgive you. That was really poor leadership, but I forgive you. <laughs> Nothing more came out. I'm like, I'm like, in my head, in my head, I'm like, that's it? <laughs> like, that's all you have to say? And I, I kind of looked at the third party like, that's all he has to say? Are you gonna make him say something? I mean, because you know, like, in my head, I just wanted to, like all of a sudden, this like self-righteous person, just like 90% of this problem is you. You know what I'm saying? I, I was just, I was, I was irritated. And yeah, you have nothing to say. Have you ever just wanted to turn into a pro wrestler? Just admit it, I'm just saying. I just wanted to just, mm, you know, like full pro wrestler on that guy. I just, I was so mad. And yet in that moment, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just convicted me. It was just like this moment where I could sense the Holy Spirit speaking to my conscience. Conscience 
stricken. Like David Peter, if you will fully own this moment, like it is 100% you, if you will take full ownership in this moment as though it is 100% you, it's like you're tag teaming me, okay? It's like I will completely take care of this guy, I will either convict him, I will remove him, or I will work it out for your benefits. I will convict him, remove him, or work it out for your benefit. Do you trust me? Will you take ownership 100% even if you only feel like it is only 10 or 20% your fault? Take full ownership. And of course, in that moment, I kept thinking, well, at what point am I just being taken advantage of? You know what I'm saying? Because that's kind of the instinct behind this. And yet I, I kept thinking, no, 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 no. Be like David, be like David. Be willing to trust God so fully that you would rather just take ownership for your 10% and just get your character straight, okay? Because part of the reason, I, I actually think the reason why a lot of people, they don't wanna take ownership for their marriage, take ownership for their bad workplace situation is, is we're afraid, again, that we're actually becoming taken advantage of. If I, become, if I become vulnerable, if I take responsibility for this small thing, then hey, then, then, then I'm just gonna, it's just gonna get worse, right? Well, it, it, for example, as David walked out of that cave, I try to understand what is his mindset? He's, he's thinking, okay, if I, if I actually admit my sin, I cut off Saul's tassel, uh, Saul might kill me. And that's actually a reasonable possibility, right? But David instead thought, if I live a lifestyle of inconvenient righteousness and honesty, honesty God is not only gonna protect me like he did when I fought Goliath, God will use this moment to promote me. All of Israel will know that I'm a man of character. And so then when I do become king, they're actually gonna trust me. And when I do become king, people aren't gonna have the same, they're not gonna rebel against me the moment they think I'm in the wrong. Because let's be honest, David knew that, hey, when he's all of a sudden in, in the king position, he's gonna have all sorts of people second guessing every last decision he makes, even the righteous ones. You see, it took an incredible amount of faith for him to walk out of that cave and yet what happened? God ended up promoting David beyond his wildest dreams, took care of him over and over and over again. And so as I sat, so just coming back to the story of me in Wisconsin, I'm staring at my equivalent of King Saul, or maybe Absalom would be a better metaphor here, but I, I wanted to be angry. I knew this was my cave moment. I knew this was my first Samuel 24 moment. I knew this guy had all sorts of deception in his heart, yet I also knew. I knew that I knew that I knew God has me, he's gonna either convict this guy, he's gonna remove this guy, or he's gonna work it out for my benefit. Uh, besides, every second that I obsess over this guy's flaws is a second I'm not worrying about my own issues. And let me tell you, I got issues. I got all, just ask my wife, she knows, you know what I'm saying? I've got all sorts of things that I need to focus on, and I don't have the time, I mean, like, I don't even know how people have the time to focus on other people's sin. I don't know about you, I'm overwhelmed by my own issues. I got, I, like every single year I discover something new and just when I think I'm getting pretty doggone spiritual, the Lord will say, yeah, it's time for you to work on this. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like, that's really hard, you know what I'm saying? And, and I, I just, I don't know how people have so much time to focus on other people's sin nowadays. 
It's like everybody in our culture has the time to point the finger, when in reality, I think we just need to get busy with this. Our own hearts. Imagine what that would do to the news. There would be nothing to talk about anymore, you know what I'm saying? Aside from so-and-so and so, another leader admitted he could do better. <laughs> could you imagine if that was like the culture we lived in, you know what I'm saying? People are fighting to take ownership for the responsibility over this flaw in our, you know, like imagine if we lived in that kind of society. I just, I, you know, I, I, what was funny is, is as I look back on that issue, I look back and now there's, you know, it's, it's decades ago, right? And uh, I, I'm thinking about how many times God has vindicated me, promoted me hundreds of times over. I, I look back at all of my adversaries, not just that one particular moment. I look back at any given moment where I could have, where somebody could have maybe obstructed the speed of my promotion and of my opportunity. No human being can stand in the way of your promotion. Nobody, except for you. Except for you and your inability to focus on you. And so I, just years after, you know, it's kind of funny how year, it, it took a while for some people, but years after people would come up to me and they apologized to me for listening to that guy. And they're like, yeah, that guy really had issues. I don't even know why I was friends. Uh, you know, and, and I didn't even have to vent or gossip about that person. God settled the score over and over and over and over again. And I didn't have to commit sin in order to defend myself, okay? And looking back, I'm actually convinced that that day was a huge test for me in several areas, God was testing me, first off, how quick are you to apologize? Why does that matter? Because if you're bad at apologizing, let me tell you, you're also bad at living in the light. It's, it's it, it, here's, that, write that down, some of you, okay? Because if you're bad at apologizing, you're also gonna be bad at confessing your sin. It's just, because why it's the same muscle. It's the humility muscle. It's a humility muscle that we have to learn how to flex. And if we're bad at apologizing, we're also gonna be bad at confessing our sin. If we're bad at confessing our sin, we're also gonna be bad at apologizing. And if you're bad at apologizing, your marriage is also gonna have arrested development at some point. You're, all your relationships will at some point. I, I just, one of my goals as a dad is to always be filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now let me be honest, my kids get to see real Peter Haas all this stinking time and they would admit to you, yeah, there's a lot of times where he's lacking a few fruits. <laughs> okay, so then if I'm gonna lack a few things, then here's the thing that I'm gonna be good at. I'm gonna be good at admitting when I do fall short of the glory of God. And, and, and that's something that I actually think is health. Why? Because the definition of maturity is how quick are you willing to admit it? You see, I think God was also testing me asking me this question, Peter, are you the type of person who is willing to act mature when other people won't? Are you the type of person who will confess your sins even when it's scary and inconvenient? And I'm telling you, church, if we can pass these types of tests, God will promote you through the roof. Your destiny and your calling will be unfolded in an unstoppable way. Why? Because darkness ain't got nothing on a person who lives in the light. And that's why I end with this. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we what? Confess our sins. And confession is not meant to be a, 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 a vertical thing between us and God, it's meant to be a, a horizontal thing between us and righteous people. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us 
from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but I just wanna be clean. I wanna be, I wanna live the type of life. Why, because clean people, righteous people, the pure in heart will see God. Matthew 5 says, man, I wanna be able to see what God is doing on the face of this earth and be used by him every minute I'm alive. And how do we get there? Confess your sins quickly. And so here's what I wanna do. I just, I wanna do business with God. Just close your eyes right now and just ask yourself the question, God, where would you like to tweak my soul? Maybe for some of you, there's maybe a few people that you've been griping about, you've been blaming your problems on, and God's like, hey, I just want you to take ownership of that situation. Do you believe that me plus you is, is a majority? Do you believe that I can take care of that person? that I will convict, remove, or work it out for your benefit. Do you trust me? I believe that God is actually liberating some of you to focus on the thing that he really wants you to change, and that's you. Father, all of us have broken areas of our lives, broken marriages, broken relationships, broken disciplines, and I, I just pray that today would be a reset moment, Lord, where we would have true intimacy with you and with your word, and we realize in order to have intimacy with you, we've gotta be able to, to reconcile ourselves with your holiness, and also reconcile ourselves to your power, which only comes by living in submission. And so, Father, I pray that there would be a spirit of humility that would fall upon our church, and all, Lord, all these people, Lord, that you'd just give them authenticity in their small groups this week, and Lord, even the people that don't have a small group of Christian friends that they can be vulnerable with, that you would enable them to have that type of life, that we can truly live the promotable life that you have for us. And Lord, Lord, you, you realize that there's some deep pain in some of our lives that you're gonna have to do surgery on, but God, I believe that your power is greater than our pain, and that you're not gonna waste a single moment of that. And so, Lord, just be present in our lives. Fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with, with promise of a great and glorious future that comes by living surrender to you. And church, if that's your prayer, just say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess my sin, starting here, that I might know you and make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.